Greetings. I am Queen of the Stars, coming to you from the liminal space where time isn't linear and multidimensional frequencies are alive and present, emanating from me to inspire truth, authenticity, balance, liberation, and cosmic alignment. True to my name, I travel the stars and cosmos far and wide through my emotional technology and have created this podcast to prophecy. In other words, to declare or foretell through divine inspiration. This podcast is going to involve time travel, jumping past, future, and parallel timelines to share wisdom and inspired journeys from resonant souls and high vibrational beings. Queen Prophecies is a conscious act in service of all on their unique paths to assist in the upgrades and activations at this precise moment on Earth. Sit back and enjoy the frequencies. Take a journey with Queen, and my guest in this episode, Merav Artsi. Today we are traveling to Peru, to the Amazon jungle, to receive the frequencies of ayahuasca and tobacco. Full disclosure, the consciousness of these two master plants and master teachers have potent messages to share with the collective and some triggering and sensitive topics are discussed. What I can say with full confidence is that the world is a better place with these master teachers who have the power to strip us of our inner demons, of our ego, of our trauma stories and looping thoughts. They are master healers, although they are not for everyone. So to borrow from Carlos Castañeda's Don Juan, Anything is one of a million paths. Therefore, you must always keep in mind that a path is only a path. If you feel you should not follow it, you must not stay with it under any conditions. To have such clarity, you must lead a disciplined life. Only then will you know that any path is only a path, and there is no affront to oneself or to others in dropping it if that is what your heart tells you to do. But that decision to keep on the path or to leave it must be free of fear or ambition. Beautiful beings, I invite you to listen with discernment and only take away what is truly for you. Hello everyone, this is Queen here with another very beautiful conversation that I am so blessed and honored to be sharing with you. I have a magical, 
very, very dear sister and um, transmission from Peru, from the sacred valley, from Urubamba. I would love for her to introduce herself and her um, her medicine that she works with, which is the theme of this episode, Mapacho. So please introduce yourself and and share about Mapacho with us. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for listening. My name is Merav. I'm a tabakera. I'm based in Peru. I am uh, born and raised in Israel. Mm-hmm. I work uh, for the last decade with mapacho and with sacred plants from the Amazon jungle. Mm. And that's the short version. <laughs> that's the short version. <laughs> yes. So in having this conversation with you, it is my intention to share with the world um, a glimpse a tiny drop of the medicine that is tobacco because it is a plant that has traveled the world, has reached almost every single household throughout time. And yet so many people understand tobacco as a poison and as really a... (laughs) Yeah, as something harmful, as something that should be banned and that we should be afraid of and that harms us and hurts us and makes us sick. And I know, and you know, that that is so far from the truth and from the true essence of the plant. So I would love for you to share a little bit deeper. What is mapacho? Where does it come from? How do you work with it? And And what is it that drew you to this particular medicine as one of your greatest offerings? Okay, it's a multi-layered question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So tobacco is sacred to all the peoples of the Americas. Uh, it's a very ancient spirit. This is called uh, the grandfather of all plants. The plants were all the plants that brought to us, they introduced us to all the other uh, medicinal plants that we are working with. Mm. Uh, nobody really knows where where it comes from. The spirit is very ancient. Mm. It is used by uh, different indigenous groups of the Amazon jungle uh, as a teacher, as a guide, as a carrier uh, of prayers, as a channel uh, to the gods. Uh, It's used as a very strong physical and energetic cleanse. Uh, promoting prophetic dreams. It's a protector and it's a regulator of the energetic body. 
Tobacco, it works to bring us back to our body and connects us to to ourselves, to what we came to do here in the world. And by by knowing ourselves, um, it helps us to understand our role here and to better understand the world around us. It's so beautiful and I absolutely, I agree that the plant itself um, really does hold this energy of a grandfather. Um, I think what I would like to share on that thread is that one of the women that I encountered in Peru that first started sharing with me um, the tradition of the um, the people of Cusco, right? They're more mountain people. They're, they aren't of the Amazon, but they definitely had connections to the Amazon. They used to trade. They used to share medicines with each other. So the way her tradition works with Mapacho, she actually shared with me that it's not specifically a masculine energy, that it actually carries both masculine and feminine wisdom and and essence and spirit and i do think that it's like it will show you what you need to see or it will show up as the teacher that you need and for me it absolutely showed up as a grandfather and it absolutely showed up as a masculine energy and the medicine of tobacco takes me back to my childhood when I smell it, when I sit with it, when I pray with it. It reminds me of my grandfathers. Both of them used to smoke tobacco cigarettes every single day of their life. And their houses smelled of it. Their clothing, when I hugged them, smelled of it. So what tobacco told me today, right before you and I got on this call, is it said, you know, I did show up as this masculine kind of grandfather energy for you because you had to heal your masculine lineage. You had to heal certain threads that came from your dad and your grandfathers. So um, I'm curious, does this resonate at all? Do you feel that in the way that you've either worked with it personally or when you've worked with other people and you're helping them through their plant dietas, have you seen them speak of like generational trauma or generational healings kind of coming up as they work deeper with the plant? Well, uh, this type of work is holistic and it works in many levels. Uh, it connects us with our ancestral lineage and it brings back, uh, it brings out uh, 
both the strength of the ancestral lineage, the strength that we have in ancestral ancestral lineage, and both the the wounds that we carry from our ancestral lineage. Um, it also works to um, restore uh, and heal events that happened in the past lives, and it also heals us um, from trauma that we are carrying in these lives. So yes, it is um, quite common that we connect with our ancestral lineage mm. and during the process of the diet or the ceremony, uh, things comes to the consciousness, things uh, about our ancestral lineage become more clear. And also what we need to do uh, in order to to heal this uh, generational trauma, or what we need to do to connect with the strength that our lineage is carrying. Yeah, I think when I think of um, the element of strength in my grandfathers, um, they were both immigrants to the United States. You know, they were from very simple families. You could even say poor families in Mexico. And they smoked uh, tobacco um, as, as children even, you know, because it's very common in Mexico that you may not have much, but you could have access to tobacco. You could have maybe access to alcohol. Um, and I, I will still say that when my grandfathers were younger, tobacco was much purer in form. It wasn't full of chemicals yet in, in the way yes. we know cigarettes today in your, in your common, mm -hmm. you know, um, drugstore or something. But I think that once they got to the U S it was like a, a thread that connected them to Mexico because there's a lot of things that you give up when you immigrate, when you move to a place where you are starting from nothing. And they held such strength to do that and to set up, um, you know, families and generations after them, like me, that were then gifted with certain privileges um, to be American born. You know, whether that's just that, you know, I had access to two languages, English and Spanish, whether that was, you know, I had more access to education. But the strength of my grandfathers is absolutely something that I feel when I smoke tobacco because I feel like they're here with me. I feel like they're in the room sometimes when I'm smoking. And it brings me such... Um, peace to know that because they've both died and they've you know they they've turned into another form already but they do show up many times when I'm smoking and I just feel loved I feel their love you know it, yeah it is beautiful that you can connect uh, to your ancestral energy through through the tobacco. 
Mm. So I would love to ask you, what was it that drew you to tobacco as either a plant to, to do your own personal healing or again, you know, you said you, um, you studied in the jungle, you learned in a lineage in the jungle of Peru, but your origins are from Israel. So what even brought you all the way to Peru from Israel? Like, I would love to hear that journey or that, that calling. How did that go? I, that was about 13 years ago. In that time, I lived in Amsterdam. Uh, I was a part of uh, a big community of artists and political activists. Uh, we lived together in a, in a big squat in the center of Amsterdam, where we were running an alternative platform uh, for, for a theater, for the plastic arts, for uh, cinema, for dance. Um, and I was feeling like I'm living my dream. But in the same time, um, I, I was, I was feeling like something something is missing in my life. Like uh, there must be more than this, but I, I didn't really know what I was looking for. Um, I guess the turning point for me was that my mother got very sick with cancer and then passed away. And shortly after my mother passed away, uh, one of my best friends uh, that we were working together and living together and just quote like sisters, uh, she got diagnosed with brain cancer and passed away uh, very quickly in the following year. And then I lost another friend uh, that was part of our group from this quote and Dealing with death uh, really shocked me to the core. I really didn't have any tools to deal with it. And it made me think about my life. And I really didn't know how to deal with it. I had a lot of fear inside of me uh, that I would get sick with cancer myself and die. And I started to see... the disease, the cancer everywhere. And in that time, I was working a lot with dancers and choreographers. I met this beautiful woman, Catalina, a very talented choreographer from Santiago, Chile. And through her work, I got introduced to the, to the magic of South America. And shortly after came an invitation from her to come and work with her in Santiago, Chile. And I felt like I needed to do something. I felt like I'm on a quest for the elixir of life, for something that would save me, will save my soul. So I accepted her invitation and I went to Santiago, Chile. And from the first days uh, that 
of my stay there, I met people that started to talk to me about shamanism. And I was advised as I was sharing my story, my personal story and my quest uh, to go and drink ayahuasca uh, in the jungle in Peru. Um, and it happened like this, that the project that I came to do in Santiago, Chile didn't happen. So I found myself um, planning a trip to Peru. I didn't have much money, but I had an equipment um, and I had the idea in my mind to go and to do a documentary mm. about my journey uh, to meet ayahuasca. Uh, and so I went hitchhiking through Chile uh, to Peru with uh, a woman I just met a couple of weeks ago in, in Santiago, Chile. And because I didn't speak any Spanish, she was supposed to be my producer and to do second camera for me. Uh, one of the, the men that I met in Santiago, Chile had told me about a shaman uh, called Don Juan that lives in Iquitos, in the city of Iquitos, in Loreto, in the Amazon jungle. And um, that also triggered a lot of things in me because in my 20s, I read a lot of the books of Carlos Castaneda about uh, his experiences with the shaman Don Juan. Um, so, yeah, um, Nadia, the woman that I met in Santiago and myself, we went hitchhiking. Uh, we were so excited about this journey that uh, I think we were glowing and everybody that met us uh, took us with their car wherever we needed to go. Uh, people were so kind to us. Um, they were inviting us for empanadas. Uh, for for gaseosas, for soft drinks, and we had a very magical journey arriving to Peru. Uh, when we arrived to Peru, we stayed in Puno for a few days to to rest. Uh, it was more of a, than a two weeks journey to arrive from Santiago uh, to Peru, and I started to interview some shamans there and. I couldn't really connect with what they were saying and I was starting to doubt my journey. And I was starting to think that I am chasing something that doesn't exist because Don Juan is a, is a figure from a book. <laughs> <laughs> and we decided to accelerate the journey and to arrive to Iquitos as soon as possible. We took a bus to Lima. From Lima, we took uh, an army plane, a small army plane to Iquitos. And uh, as soon as we settled in, we went looking for Don Juan. We arrived to this uh, small village with no street names, uh, with small wooden houses, uh, 
the paths are all muddy. Uh, the friend that sent us, Mario, that sent us uh, to look for Don Juan, made uh, a map from us, uh, for us on uh, an A4 paper with a pencil. And we were struggling with the map and trying to understand where is this house. We were trying to ask the locals uh, about Don Juan, but Juan is, uh, is a very common name, like Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so nobody gave us any clear answers. And they were also looking at us like, you know, gringas, what are you doing here? Yeah. Uh, so while we were searching, we found this uh, little room that had internet, uh, there were children there playing video games. And we figured uh, we're gonna wait until Mario will go maybe on messenger and we're gonna ask for directions. And while we were doing that, we were outside playing football with the kids. And the children were asking us, hey gringas, what, what are you doing here? And we said, we are looking for Ayahuasca called Don Juan. And one of the kids says, oh, I know him. Uh, I play with his children. So uh, the children took us to the house of the Ayahuasquero, of Don Juan. Uh, we came to a very modest house uh, that had a very big family there. Uh, Don Juan lived there with his 14 children. Most of them were married and had their children there. He was very curious to see us uh, because there were not a lot of foreigners coming in that time to drink ayahuasca in Quitos. Mm. And he had many questions for us. And after one hour of talking, he said, okay, uh, you can drink ayahuasca with us. We're drinking ayahuasca twice a week, every Tuesday and every Friday. And you can come to attend the next ceremony. So this is what we did. Um, we came to his house on Tuesday in the evening. And there were only locals there. There were elderly people. Uh, there was a young teenager with her mother. All people from the villages around. And... Mm -hmm. um, it was very interesting because most of them didn't drink ayahuasca. Rather, uh, the ayahuasquero, Don Juan, drank ayahuasca for them. So he can do uh, a diagnosis for them and tell them you know, what plants they need to drink, what medicine they need to drink. And both of us, me and Nadia, we both uh, drank ayahuasca. And we were, it was a very modest house. We were sitting on the ground uh, on mats. And it was very hot and humid. Mm -hmm. They were closing all the windows and all the doors. And as we were, the ayahuasca was starting to affect us. I just felt like I cannot breathe over there. All the noises of the street, of the, the motor cars, uh, the sounds of the mothers batting the children, 
and putting them to sleep, uh, the children crying. It was all uh, mixing in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I experienced a lot of fear. And it was one of the most <laughs> scary, challenging experiences uh, I ever had. <laughs> As the ceremony came to a close, uh, Don Juan was sitting with me and Nadia and he was asking us about what we saw. Uh, I came you know, from Amsterdam, living in a squat, a lot of parties, very wild lifestyle. Uh, so my body was, was not very clean. So mostly what I experienced in the ceremony was a very deep cleansing and I could see a lot of scorpions and spiders and snakes. And in some point I did connect with some nature spirits, but I, I couldn't really understand how, how this is going to help me in my life or how this is going to give me any answers uh, to the questions that I had. Um, during the course of the week, uh, Don Juan gave us a lot of plans to, to cleanse us. And this really helped me to connect better with the medicine in the, in the next ceremony. And I experienced much more light and much more connection uh, with the medicine, but still... I didn't really feel that I got any answers. And when we left, I thought that this is the end of this and I will never come back to do ayahuasca again. Uh, we, took, uh, we took these big boats with the hammocks on the Amazon and we continued to Brazil. Uh, from there, I continued back to Amsterdam and uh, Nadia went back to Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And during the following year, I realized that something in me had changed, that I am much softer to myself and eating uh, more healthy. Uh, I I do less partying, and to my surprise, uh, I felt the calling to go back to the jungle again. Where you said you were never going to return, and you'd never do ceremony again, and definitely not ayahuasca, maybe another plant. (laughs) It was so challenging, uh, these ceremonies, that I thought I would never do it again. Uh, But I started to feel the benefits. I started to feel this, uh, these small changes in my life and it brought this calling in me to go back again. Uh, so I went back again to Iquitos, this time alone. And um, I went to the house of Don Juan and uh, unfortunately Don Juan was very, very sick. And um, I couldn't do the ceremonies with him. And so I heard about a very 
interesting uh, center that is deep in the jungle of the of a corundero of a Oscaro from the Shipibo Canibo uh, tribe. They are known for their uh, deep connection with ayahuasca. They say uh, that the language of the Shipibo is the language of the ayahuasca. Mm. And in that time, there was uh, a movie that just came out, other words, ayahuasca, that uh, made many people curious about ayahuasca. And also there was a guy that won the Nobel Prize in physics and he said that he came to this discovery after drinking ayahuasca. Hmm. So I came to this center in the jungle and uh, there were many shamans there from Europe with groups. There were biologists, physicians, artists. Um, it, was, it was really interesting. It was kind of felt like a renaissance. Except hotter um, and more mosquitoes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the 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 jungle. If you are able to overcome the heat and the mosquitoes, there is there is a lot of magic there. Mm. And in these isolated places, um, you can really connect with the spirits with the spirits of nature, uh, with the spirits of the tree. Um, it's a very, very powerful healing place. I, as I was staying in this place and, and in this retreat center and drinking ayahuasca there, I found myself staying there for a month and drinking almost every night. I made amazing friends there and we were like a pack of warriors, you know, going to the Maloka every night to drink and to face our demons. I, one day I saw a couple that came out of nowhere. I realized that there, later there is another center there where they do plant diets that is completely isolated from where we are and when I saw this couple uh, they were from Russia I was I was completely fascinated they came and they were uh, they were so skinny their hair was shaved because um, when you work with these plants you don't want to use any cosmetics any perfumes to distract you so they decided to shave their hair and uh, the look that were in their eyes, the light that was radiating from them, uh, it just fascinated me. I didn't know anything about plant diets in that time. And because they were in diet, meaning in isolation for six months, not seeing anyone except for their teacher and not talking to anyone, uh, it was very difficult for them to be with people and I was patiently waiting until they joined us and I think that the moment that I saw them I realized this is it this is what I want to do this is what I need to do I don't know what it is but <laughs> this is it but they have it they were radiating it yeah, completely yes 
And so I started to investigate about plant diets and I, I almost stayed. I, there was like this feeling I have to leave everything behind and this is what I need to do. And as I came to change my plan ticket, um, I couldn't do it. And all of a sudden I realized that I have all these responsibilities at home. Uh, in the time I was running the alternative cinema in the squat and working with a big group of programmers and people were dependent on me. So I, I went back. I went back to Amsterdam and I experienced a very difficult year. Uh, there was, on one hand, on the intellectual level, um, I was blossoming. <laughs> I was running the cinema. I uh, initiated uh, a magazine for alternative cinema in Amsterdam in English. But on the personal level, I did not feel satisfied. On the emotional level, I did not feel satisfied. Something, something was really missing. And so I went back, and this time with a decision that I'm going to find a teacher and I'm going to do diets. And I'm going to stay, you know, for as long as I need to pursue that. I gave away all my stuff. <laughs> I came back with a little bag. And in that time, my experience in Iquitos was completely different. All of a sudden, I was exposed to the dark side of ayahuasca which I was not aware of before. Um, the shamans that I was working with in the previous uh, temple, they, they were fighting with each other. Uh, the main shaman I was working with, I had found out that he was sexually abusing uh, women that were coming to him for help. Uh, Apparently, one of them I knew personally, and I got to hear her story. It came to that, that um, he put her hand uh, on his penis in, the in an ayahuasca ceremony. And there were more things happening. Uh, so all the students that he had had left him. His wife left him. Um, it was an ongoing thing. And the students have chosen one of, uh, one of his apprentices to continue the work with. And so they were fighting with each other in the spiritual world. Wow. Hurting each other. Uh, the, the, the apprenticeship were also getting hit energetically and physically. And I got to see all that. And I just felt, no, I, I don't want any part of this. I came to the jungle with this idea that people that are working with so much light, uh, that are connected to the magic of these plants, they must be good people. But um, I realized <laughs> that uh, ayahuasqueros, they are... They are just human beings that has a lot of power and knowledge. 
and allies in the spiritual world and they don't always use it uh, with integrity. All right. Got to understand in the hard way that uh, the jungle is a forest that is full of bruchons, that is full of uh, sorcerers, and not all of them are um, good people. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly that's exactly how really good brujo came to my mind when you were talking about them, and it's. It's something that I thankfully didn't experience in Peru, but I, I have heard stories in Guatemala. I've heard stories about um, different <laughs> different uh, shamans or you know powerful, usually men that work with peyote, let's say in Mexico, or could be ayahuasca in the jungle, could be, you know, could be wachuma mushrooms but at the end of the day you said the magic word we we are human and also we open up certain channels to to other realms when we work with these higher dimensional plants and that leaves room for both dark and light to come in it's almost like some of them don't even have a chance because they open themselves if they don't have the right either training or if they don't have the purity of heart, then they're opening themselves up to other energies who will use them, actually. That's how I actually perceive it because I do think that there are plenty of people on this planet who get used by other spirits. And it's not to take away their... Um, like they they are accountable in the end for their actions absolutely and they are they should be um <laughs> they should be ostracized by the community i feel when something like that comes to light but i i did feel that like when you work with these plants you're you're opening it, uh, it up to light and shadow and everything in between you know this isn't um this isn't heaven. This isn't the higher realms. This is still earth, you know, and there's a balance at play. And unfortunately, this is a reality for, for some of these um, very powerful witches, brujos, shamans. How did that, how did that unfold? So were you ready to leave? Were you ready to go back again? I just want to to comment on what you said um, and say that it is true that um, these healers uh, they have a lot of they have power because they have done these diets and they have these powerful allies in the spiritual world. But there is bujeria everywhere. Uh, every time we speak bad about somebody with uh, with strong intention, mm. this is a type of uh, uh commercials. It's a type of bucheria as well. Spells. War Spells. is a type of bucheria. Uh, 
what is happening with the corona now is also a type of bucheria. Absolutely. It exists, uh, it exists everywhere uh, in the everyday lives, not just uh, in the shamanic realm, not just in the Amazon jungle. It, it is part of our everyday life. I think that uh, most of us, we, we don't understand the power of the intense and the intensity uh, of our emotions and our words and our actions, how much power they carry and how much power we have as manifestors. And yeah, these this, uh, ayahuasqueros, uh, they are human beings. Uh, if you go to Iquitos, uh, the reputation of uh, healers that are working with this uh, with these plants is very ambiguous. People will go to an ayahuasca because they cannot find a cure for what ills them in the conventional medicine, but they, they then they come to him with the fear, uh, with the hope that he would heal them. And doesn't and don't put any uh, dark spell on them at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the the reputation of uh, of uh, this type of healers is uh, is questionable. <laughs> um, you, I think that people that come to work in this world to do diets, to do ceremonies, they should be very aware of that and, and know to ask the right questions and really listen to their intuition. Yes. And even if you sit in a ceremony and you're about to drink medicine and you feel something is off, uh, it's best that you don't drink. You used the key word because you said the word fear. People go to some of these healers full of fear that they might die, that what is wrong with them is going to be their ending in this life. And for some people who think this is the only life that they have, it's the fear that really um, trumps everything else. And so they don't necessarily ask the right questions and they don't listen to their intuition. And those are the things that we have to listen to more than anything else. We really have to understand that we can get past any fear. We can get past any, um, anything in this lifetime. No matter how bad it is, we can get past it by trusting that um, that we are powerful manifestors and that there are good people, powerful healers that do have the right intentions and they are out there. They are some sometimes the most quiet shaman that you you might never find unless you bump into him or her. 
And I think that that sometimes is taken for granted because everybody's looking for the Don Juan, the most famous shaman, right? The most talked about, maybe the one with the biggest center, maybe the one with the most followers, but that's not necessarily the one that you're supposed to go to. Intuition. There's a reason why people are attracted to work uh, with a certain healer and why people draw certain experiences to their life. In that sense, also these brujos, they serve a purpose, right? Yes. Um, because we are here as souls to learn and to grow. And sometimes the learning is coming in the hard way. Uh, like my the first month that I was searching for a teacher, I was attracted to um, to all kinds of people that didn't have actually the teaching that I was looking for, and I had been through some really tough experiences, including. A, a shaman that tried to to rape me in the ceremony itself after giving me to drink like a huge amount of ayahuasca um, once I was drinking his medicine I was open to manipulation by him and I was completely ambivalent to everything that he was doing. I, I couldn't understand his true intentions. They were hidden from me. Um, I was exposed to, yeah, the, the really... The, the the wild the wildness of the of the jungle. Yeah. I hope I'm I'm coming across clear. Yes, yes. Um, it's so it's so... like very very raw powers, very very raw, very wild powers. Um, it's so different than. Than what yeah. a lot of people know. People have um, maybe only seen the jungle on National Geographic or maybe a television show. When you're there in person, when you start seeing the frequency that that some of these places carry, it, it makes sense why why some of these things happen there. Um, it is very raw. It is also a place where th- there's like a like a balance happening of light and dark, and almost like um, you know the, these. When, even when we're sick, the reason that we are sick or ill is because there's kind of this fight inside of us between health and illness. You know, light and dark um, meeting yeah. our demons, as you said earlier, and. And that is so present in a place. And I've not been to Iquitos. I have not been, um, but I've heard stories. And I've actually seen a documentary called The Last Shaman. Um, 
where this American guy goes because he's ready to kill himself. And this is the last attempt at him trying to get sane and, and mental clarity so that he can continue living his life and actually shift his life. But his one of his first ceremonies in Iquitos, he sees someone die in the ayahuasca ceremony. He witnesses somebody die under, you know, the the umbrella of a ceremony. There's a shaman there, a big shaman. And that happened. And it's a very important documentary. I'm going to link it in the description because um, it tells, actually, it tells some of these themes that we've been talking about, but also more of the themes of like the danger of not not trusting your gut and not um, watching the signs and just being a little bit too eager to either have an experience or like you said, fearful of, of dying or fearful of this life for you ending. So they're desperate. Yeah. Super powerful to talk about this on, on this podcast, because it is something that even me as someone who, I would say I don't have very much experience with plants in this life. I do think I have in other lives. Um, But in this life, it's almost like uh, maybe I've protected myself or maybe I've shielded myself from these types of experiences because that would have completely put me off the path. I mean, you're talking about knowing that these these men were doing these things in ceremonies to women, something that should be sacred. A ceremonial space is a sacred space. If I would have witnessed that or known about that, I would have left and never gone back. So I think I protected myself from experiencing, even though I knew that it happened, I know that it happens. I did not want to experience that side of the medicine because the medicine did want me to know to experience ceremony, to experience um, the wisdom and the bliss and the connection that these plants have available to us and and the way that they bridge, they bridge humanity to divinity. And that's how I experienced ayahuasca in my first and second ceremony. That's how I experienced Wachuma in my first and second ceremony. And same thing with um, mapacho and rape. Every single time they were sacred containers. I'm so grateful that that was my experience because I would have taken the plane and never gone back. You're very, you're very brave to have still known that you were meant to go down this road. You know, to eventually be a shaman yourself. A tabaquera is a you form. Know, I, I, you know, I did not know that. Uh, in that point I was just looking for a healing and I really don't know what kept me going um, it was something that was stronger than me destiny like knowing that is beyond knowing um, like I just kept on going and kept on drinking ayahuasca in different places and having the strangest experiences like drinking ayahuasca in a store in a storage of a shoe shop in the market of Belen, which is like one of the biggest markets in Iquitos. 
that was really, really strange experience. Sitting on a, a piece of cardboard they put on the floor for me <laughs> and, and drinking ayahuasca with the owner of the shop and uh, with the ayahuasqueo that I got introduced to uh, because in that time I thought that because I had a passion for art and he was doing all these incredible ayahuasca paintings, I should, uh, I should probably take him as my teacher. So we, we had this really strange ayahuasca ceremony in, in the, the storage of the shoe shop in the market of Belen. And uh, the next day, um, he invited me to a restaurant where he had a friend that could translate for us because I, my Spanish was very limited in that time and he did not speak any English. And so I got introduced to this uh, Portuguese uh, guy Marco that now is one of my best friends and Marco was uh, translating so the ayahuasca said that he has an exhibition coming up in Austria and Switzerland so he'll be leaving Iquito soon for three or maybe six months he doesn't know but I should stay there and wait for him hmm. I was uh, very sad and frustrated because I was really eager to start working and I didn't see myself waiting. And I, I got tears in my eyes and I was thinking like, you know, where, where is this taking me? And again, another disappointment. And um, why is he wasting my time if he knows that he's living for six months? And he should understand that I'm, you know, there on my savings. <laughs> And uh, from his perspective, he thought that if I found the teacher I was looking for, I should wait for six months. Mm -hmm. And Marco said to me, like, look, don't, um, don't get disappointed. Uh, you know, these people, they live on a different timeline. There's like this cultural gap here. And, you know, if this is not what you need, just, you know, release this release it mm. and so I stayed on talking to Malco that in that time was living for nine years in Iquitos and he worked with many healers there and he told me if you're really looking for a healer there is one that is standing up from all the the other healers I worked with his name is Ernesto Garcia Torres, and he's a tabaquero. And if you want, I'll take you to see him. Uh, and he said something like, yeah, tobacco is a really strong medicine. It's, it's very different than ayahuasca. Um, but you, know, you will see. Give it a chance. Mm -hmm. I really had nothing to lose in that point. I think I was almost half crazy from all the medicine that I drank um, with people that did not have um, clean energies that were not like really in the light. Uh, so the next day we went to see the tabacero, Ernesto. And I was really impressed that he looked so young but later I understand that 
the medicine and being able to to clean your body like this uh tobacco is a very strong purge uh really makes you look younger than you actually are and gives you a lot of strength and vitality mm-hmm. and we went into uh the workroom of Ernesto where he accepts uh his clients and it's like this really tiny tiny room there is hardly a space there for two chairs one where Ernesto is sitting and the other one where I'm sitting as he is reading my energy mm-hmm. and Ernesto was uh sitting there in the dark smoking this very thick cigarette uh made of the tobacco of the jungle this is the tobacco that uh, traditionally we work with in peru it's called nicotiana rustica it's a very wild and potent type of tobacco and i was looking at the cigarette and he was looking at me <laughs> and he offered me a cigarette to smoke as well And I was taking this big cigarette and I was smoking it with a lot of pleasure. By that time, I knew how to uh, to read how to read the energy that is in the part of the tobacco that is burning. Mm. So I looked at him, and as he was examining me, I was kind of examining him, and I was doing it through the cigarette. And what I saw in the first thing that I saw in the cigarette, it was a tiger. And that is the Otaronga that later on I learned is the is this the symbol of our lineage. I'm a part of a lineage that is called Mamankunawa lineage. And then I saw like this big smile. And this is really Ernesto. He has the kindest heart. And he's always smiling. Hmm. It doesn't, even if you say to him, you tell him something like, I don't like Ernesto or I had uh, experienced the most difficult night. And I had a lot of pain. I was attacked by demons. He looks at you, he smiles and he says, <laughs> very good, very good. So always to, to contradict the, the negativity. Hmm. And I felt safe enough to 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 decide to stay for a few nights there and to give it a chance. And I ended up staying for almost three years in his house with his family, uh, studying with him, and then, In total, seven years in Iquitos uh, to be close to him. Iquitos is the gate to the jungle where the plants that I'm working with are growing. This is the, the temple where the trees are. And I stay there um, to continue to learn, to experience, to, to diet more and more. I have... Just infinite uh, gratitude uh, to the universe, to my guides for finding Ernesto. It's not um, 
something to be taken for granted to find a good teacher, uh, an honest, generous man that you know that really shares his knowledge with an open heart. After staying there for like four days, I felt and drinking his medicines and drinking a lot of tobacco and cleaning a lot, and purging a lot. I felt as if a veil was lifted from my face and I could finally see clearly. And I went out of my, the room where I was staying in his backyard and I realized that there are other people there and I realized that these people are doing diets. And I asked his permission if I could, I could diet with him. And, and he agreed. And well, in, in a nutshell, there's a lot of small stories that I could tell, but in a nutshell, this is how I came to drink tobacco and I felt so good. I felt so much in my element that my teacher said, uh, Melav had found the medicine of our heart. And when he said that, um, I just felt it in all my body. I knew that that was true. It doesn't mean that the path didn't bring a lot of challenges. It brought a lot of challenges. And maybe if it was not so challenging, it was not really worth doing it. Mm -hmm. I never thought that life would bring me, even in my wildest dreams, to be living in Peru and um, working, with, working with sacred plants. <clears throat> but um, in the course of um, doing the diets, I also it brought up a lot of resistance in me and from, from feeling um, I'm not good enough to do that. I'm not worthy to all these gifts that the plants are giving me. Who am I, you know? Um, I was shown that this is my destiny, that this is what I came here to do, regardless uh, of the image that I have myself. And... In that point, I just surrendered <laughs> and accepted after uh, creating a lot of obstacles in my way. I accepted that um, this is the lifestyle and this is what I came here to do. It's not an easy lifestyle, um, but I cannot... I mean, I can't see myself doing anything else. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, I've been crying for a while. I've just been crying very quietly <laughs> <laughs> because um, it's like I'm in Peru with you. This whole time you've been talking like I'm in the room. Um, you know, in the room where you said you're sitting on the cardboard box 
you know, and in the house of your teacher, realizing that all of those obstacles and all of those crazy experiences where at any point you could have given up and just said, no, this is not right. This is not for me. You just kept, you just kept trusting that, that you were supposed to be there and that the right teacher was going to present himself. And I mean, they do say the teacher shows up when the student is ready. The teacher showed up when you were ready for him and you just, um, you know, you just had to <laughs> kind of go down a crazy uh, path before with a different plant medicine that also is very, um, almost like it's an initiation to work with ayahuasca. It's it's a such it's, it's ayahuasca is the gate uh, for many people. Yeah, she she's very uh, she's. She's very seductive. She's a temptress. She's also... She has a lot of sex appeal. <laughs> so for me, she's a serpent. She's a... You know, she's part vine from the jungle and part... Because, you know, you have to... It's like mixing two different plants together that creates the, the actual effect of dmt and for me she really every single time she's come to me and she's come to me when i'm not on the medicine as well but she comes as a serpent she comes as a snake but she comes as the most powerful force um this very old strong both earthly and cosmic mother yeah yeah they call her the grandmother right so grandmother grandmother serpent badass um she will take you on a journey even if it's the hardest night of your life the hardest year of your life depends how long you work with her um i think it i think in my case it, it's it was worth it and i think in your case based on the fact that you are still in Peru and that you are now at Tabaquera and you're in your own right. Um, it was worth it for you too. Yeah, I mean, no doubt. I I had to come through all that. I had to go through this dark tunnel to come out on the other side. That's for sure. Um might sound like a cliche, but you know, it completely transformed my life. I feel like maybe I would have got sick if I didn't face my fears, my demons. Maybe they they would have consumed me. I I don't know, but it, it was not meant to be. It sent me, yeah, it sent me on this path. Um to say that uh, ayahuasca and tobacco, they are as different from one another as the sun and the moon, and they very much complete each other. And ayahuasca, she is, 
she can you really need to be very grounded to understand her to understand the dreams to understand the visions um this is why a good ayahuasquero uh is somebody that needs to have a lot of diets so he has like this experience and and this strength and to be able to walk in this world so she can be very deluding um she's not oh, she's also not very she's not straightforward uh it's like the 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 shape of the vine as it is uh growing around the tree you know serpent like yes while tobacco is very straightforward uh is very much of the earth um it's uh, it's so practical it really helps us to walk the earth it gives us strength clarity to overcome obstacles in our lives um it gives us this clear connection like a very very clear channel to the divine uh the the ancient uh the ancient healers they master they used to master both plants both ayahuasca and tobacco so tobacco is giving us the, the integration and this really strong base so we, we may fly and explore under dimensions and ayahuasca is all about uh traveling in dimension it is said that ayahuasca is the only plant where you can travel in 10 different dimensions um so i i find that they they complete one another in a beautiful way tobacco can help very much with uh bringing here integrating the experiences of the ayahuasca so bringing it so we can may manifest it in our everyday lives we actually were given uh mapacho at the end of our ayahuasca ceremony both times so basically you go through the whole night and you um you get blessed with tobacco at the beginning of the ceremony and then you smoke your own at the end of the ceremony to ground you back into your body to really like you said integrate as much as you can in that moment because for me tobacco is about presence it's about the present moment. It's almost like nothing else really has my attention when I sit down with mabacho, with tobacco. It demands my presence and full attention and then gifts me so much because I just, because I give him my presence because I say, I'm here. I'm here to just be here with you. It's, it's very much um it's really it's really correct what you're saying um a lot of people say that they feel a strong sense of presence um as they're working with tobacco um so what the tobacco does it wants to collect you in all the places where you are outside of the body so like 
collects the, the fragments of the soul. Mm. Or you can also explain it in a way that uh, every time in our life that we experience a trauma that was, had not been processed, it's like a piece of us was left behind. And so the tobacco wants to help us to collect ourselves again so we can be healed and whole. Absolutely. Oh, man. It's such a powerful plant. And I'm, I'm thinking that maybe we're going to have to do a part two because we didn't even talk about what happens in a, in a tobacco um, dieta. And I feel like that can be a whole conversation in itself. Yes, uh, talking about um, the apprenticeship, uh, about the initiation of working with master plants, there's a lot to be said about that, definitely. Yeah, it can't, <laughs> it can't and it shouldn't be um, forced into one episode. I'm, I'm feeling like the listeners are also, maybe they've traveled a lot with us in this conversation. And I'm so grateful for what you shared. I'm so grateful for the energies of the plants that came in. Because on my notes, I was going in a different direction, but they have a consciousness. They know, they yeah, know what wants to be shared and what needs to be shared. Absolutely. And thank you so much for allowing this platform. Thank you. So where can people find you if they are either in Peru and maybe willing to travel to where you hold your tobacco ceremonies and dietas? Where can they find you on social media or through email? Uh, I have a page on Facebook that is called Merav Tabakera. I also have um, a site on the internet that is called tobaccodiet.com. And there you can definitely find more information about tobacco, about tobacco ceremonies, about uh, plant diets, <clears throat> uh, and about all the retreats that I'm doing in Peru and around the world. I'm going to link all of your information in the description of the episode. And I'm very grateful for you popping into my last week in Peru, mm -hmm. because we actually met in person. Uh, we lived 15 minutes from each other. I saw your flyer in the shop, the natural shop in Urubamba. I saw your flyer, I think, when I moved to Urubamba. But the way the world and the universe orchestrated me meeting you was through my previous guest on this podcast, uh, Callista. She uh, is an Akashic Records reader, and she said that I had to meet you. And that's how we met. She gave me your contact, your website, your phone number. And then I found out you were right around the corner. You were 15 minutes walking, just up into yeah. the mountains from my house. And, um, no, and there I, are no coincidences. No, not, not ever. 
Never, never, never. And the world and the universe is always orchestrating things for us for our highest good. And sometimes it, we're too distracted and there's too much noise in our mind, which is why the plants are so important and beautiful because they can bring us into presence and into clarity. And they also give us the foresight to know, like I somehow knew that I was going to meet a tabaquera and I knew that I was going to partake in like the next level of the medicine of tobacco because I had not drank it yet. And I got to do that with you. And I would love to share that in another episode. It's very, very beautiful work that you do, medicine that you share, space that you hold. So I would love for people to search you, click on the links, find you, and and experience it for themselves. Thank you so much. I had I had good teachers. <laughs> I think. Um, I think Ernesto, his ears are ringing right now because, you know, he, he also got brought, his, his spirit got brought into this podcast and it's beautiful. It's very, very beautiful. Your journey, what you shared, who you are, and I would um, love to do another episode with you. We'll see what aligns. It was a pleasure. Thank you.